Welcome to this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, Managing Editor of the Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine and your podcast host. The Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, I speak with David Fagenbaum, who's the co-founder of Every Cure, and Michelle Longmire, the CEO and co-founder of Medible. Both are doctors, both have so much to share. We talk with them about drug repurposing and David's story about how he was ill and then discovered this one drug that helped him and then how he's helping others. So I won't get too far ahead, a lot of great stuff. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with the show. Hey there, Andy Studnett, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Hello, listeners. We are here with David and Michelle. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you. My first question is for David, and I found your story really impactful, especially in that your personal experiences with a life-threatening illness, which I'm so sorry that you went through, but you know how it informed your work in pharma. Could you talk a bit about that and kind of how it's led to, to where you are today? Sure. I was a healthy third-year med student. I wanted to become an oncologist in memory of my mom who had passed away just a few years before. And that really is what motivated me to want to go to medicine in the first place. When out of nowhere, I became critically ill. All my organs shut down, had my last rites read to me because my doctors didn't think I would survive. And fortunately, uh, thanks to modern medicine and a a lot of uh, good fortune, I, I did survive. Um, when I was first sick with this disease, idiopathic multicenter calcium disease, but I would go on to have a number of relapses where I, I nearly died a total of five times from this horrible disease. And that really put me on a mission to try to find a drug that could maybe save my life. And so I'm, I'm here today because of a drug that I identified that had never been used before for my disease that we repurposed. And I'm also here today because I'm excited to be partnering with Michelle and, and her team at Medible to try to do this at scale for more patients out there, because we believe that every drug that is at your neighborhood pharmacy should be used for every disease that it can possibly treat. Maybe that's a really good context for our listeners. One of the things I found really interesting about both of your companies and the partnership is the drug repurposing and how you're essentially, just like you said, are trying to use a single drug for as many indications as possible. How did you come across the drug that you used for your own illness? Yeah. So it was after I had nearly died from the disease four times, um, Uh, And when I had my fifth layer of the disease, I'd been storing blood samples on myself. Uh, When I got out of the hospital, thanks to chemotherapy, went to work in the lab and ended up identifying a particular part of the immune system called the mTOR signaling pathway that seemed to be turned into overdrive. And uh, the best part about learning that is that there's a drug or actually a number of drugs that exist that are really good at turning that signaling pathway off. It's called serolimus. That's one drug. And there are other Rapologs that can turn this communication line off. And so I decided to start testing it on myself as the first patient with my disease to ever get it. And so it really was a, a very conceptual link. You know, this thing seems to be too high and this thing uh, is able to reduce it and inhibit it. So maybe it could work, but it really was um, quite a leap of faith. And here we are now, over nine years later, that I'm doing great on this drug and there are patients all over the world that are doing well on it also. 
That was going to be my next question. If like other patients had been using this drug for that purpose, that's really amazing. Thank you. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit. So David, you're obviously the co-founder of Every Cure and Michelle, you are the CEO and co-founder of Medible. You guys are going to be working together on this drug repurposing. So this question is for Michelle. <laughs> I'll have to say, how did you guys kind of come together and decide, yes, we want to work together on drug repurposing? Like what led to this partnership and perhaps what are some of the first drugs that you're hoping to research? So it's a great question. And in fact, you know, David and I were just talking about this a couple of days ago. You know, it was really three years ago. I had come across David's work and just found it to be so inspirational. His book, Chasing My Cure, and his work having self-diagnosed and determined or found his own cure was just so remarkable. And so we had asked David to come speak for our company at an event at JP Morgan, where I had the opportunity to get to know David better and his entire journey. And it was at that moment where, you know, we were in the conversation, we thought there's such a bigger opportunity around drug repurposing and decentralized clinical trials, I think are a really interesting platform for this to become something at greater scale because these drugs are known to be safe. As David pointed out, they're in the pharmacies already. They have been proven and approved by the health authorities, by the FDA in the United States and decentralized clinical trials you know, could be leveraged to connect people with these medications and generate the evidence in new disease areas to understand if they are effective at treating new illnesses that they weren't formerly known to be effective for. And it was really just a conversation, but we knew in that moment that there was something big there. And, you know, I just hand it to David, who is such a person of action. You can see in things he's done for himself, but how he scaled that to so many patients the patients living with Castleman disease to ensure that these treatments are known about and that the research continues. And I really hand it to David in founding Every Cure to take that concept and make it something that could be something so much bigger for every patient who's living with a suboptimally treated condition. What therapeutic area do you think that you guys are going to partner in first to try and find a treatment as far as like this drug repurposing? Or is it like you know, you're going to research multiple things at once, or it's, we'll see. I don't know if you have a specific vision for what's next for you guys. One thing I'll just kick that off with is, you know, in that conversation that David and I had, it was, he was already very motivated around repurposing. And I think was on this path and has done incredible things even before every cure. So has become, I think, an expert in it beyond himself as a patient. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much, Michelle. And, and I'd Remember um, those early conversations so fondly from J.P. Morgan 2020. So to answer your question, we're looking at both paths in parallel. So what is unique about every cure from all the other drug repurposing efforts that have been done to date is that we are not starting out by a priori focusing on one drug or one disease or one area of diseases. We're saying in our thesis is that there are 3,000 drugs that are FDA approved and there are about 12,000 human diseases. And we have the best or the greatest likelihood of finding an opportunity by looking across all 3,000 drugs, all 12,000 human diseases, and letting the data tell us what is the greatest drug repurposing or the, the, the greatest opportunity to repurpose a drug in a new disease area. That said, just as Michelle mentioned, we've spent the last 10 years doing drug repurposing within our center here at Penn. And we have a number of hits that we're really excited about. One of them actually is in Castleman's. It's a drug called Ruxolidinib that we're... Um, Really excited about moving forward. Next to Michelle, we haven't discussed, but I, I do think that would be one of our, our uh, certainly on our short list. 
oral drug, well-known safety profile in Castleman's patients who are not yet in the hospital. So really kind of fits well in the DCT sort of model. So that's certainly on our short list. But like I said, the thing I'm really excited about is taking this, this huge broad lens and saying, I'm not just going to look for the drug that looks most promising for Castleman's, which is what we did to save my life and, and other Castleman's patients, but what's the most promising opportunity across medicine to help people? You described having data to look across to see which drugs are working. How do you compile that data? Where does that data come from? If you guys can share to identify you know, these therapeutic areas. Yeah, the underlying foundation of what we're building is called a knowledge graph. And we're utilizing, and it's through a partnership with a group at University of North Carolina, they created a knowledge graph called RoboCop. And basically, knowledge graphs bring together the world's knowledge on medical concepts. So every drug, disease, pathway, gene, protein that you've ever heard of or ever could have imagined, it's all in this one place. But the way the knowledge graphs work right now is you can imagine all of these nodes, which are basically drugs, disease, targets, genes, and then edges that connect them. So Castleman disease involves interleukin-6, and so there's a nice link to IL-6, for example. And that's how knowledge graphs have been used to try to understand one disease in particular or one drug in particular. What are all the things connected to this disease? What are the things connected to this drug? What we're doing and what we're innovating in with UNC that I'm really excited about is that we're reducing this massive knowledge graph of thousands and thousands of nodes, actually millions of nodes, down to scores for every drug disease link. So for every single drug that's out there and every disease that it's linked to, we're quantifying the strength of evidence that links that drug and that disease. So you get from this giant knowledge graph of all these nodes and lines and edges to actually 36 million scores. So every drug against every disease. And then you can use those scores to say, among the 36 million possibilities, what are the top 10 highest scores from this knowledge graph? So it's using a sort of an, an old solution in that it's uh, knowledge graphs have been around for at least a decade, but it's a new twist to an old solution. And it serves as the foundation to then say, okay, which drugs do we actually want to take to a clinical trial? Because the trials are where we actually prove that it actually works. Got it. Got it. So then if I'm understanding correctly, this knowledge graph and the, you know, the data that's accumulated is what primarily informs you as to which drug to pursue next to see if it can be repurposed. That's exactly right. And there's a number of other data sets that are, I guess, complementary to the knowledge graph is the foundation, but we've got these amazing partners out there. So there's a company called uh, Dr. Evidence, another one called Eversana. These companies, they work with massive data sets and um, they typically work directly with pharmaceutical companies, but every year we are a nonprofit organization and given the mission that we have and given our nonprofit status, they've come to us and said, you know, we'll donate this data to you. So that way you can layer it into your knowledge graph. You can get a better sense for whether a drug promising in a disease. And, and we can just do this together because as Michelle and I've discussed before, this is such a huge challenge that we're trying to tackle that none of us could do this on our own. The only way that we as a medical field and as a, you know, as a society takes us on is if we really come together to, to solve it. I'm sensing that you guys have a really cool chemistry and a really cool history together. Are, are you comfortable sharing a bit about that? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just share that it really was JP Morgan 2020 when we first got together and started, you know, throwing around ideas around what kind of impact we can make. And I've been so impressed because Medible has grown at such a rapid rate and is doing such amazing things. And no matter how much they're growing or, or the kind of impact they're having, they have never lost sight of this interest in this discussion we had three years ago about the kind of impact we can have for patients through partnering. So yeah, it's, it's been a little over three years and it's just been awesome to, to work with Michelle. Yeah, I think 
one of the things that's exciting is, you know, David is an athlete. I was an athlete. We're both doctors. And in his book, he describes himself as someone who has this like hyper focus on, you know, going like for the goal. And so when I met David and I had read this about him in his book, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get that. (laughs) I I can't claim to have it to the same degree that David does, but you know, I do think there's something really special in the partnership because the importance of the problem is shared between both companies, both founders. And I think you've got to bring that. We're going to figure out a way to win at this. And that is almost as important as any other factor is that commitment, the dedication, the resolve. And I don't think anyone in the world that I've met has more of that than David, but you know, it's something I certainly, I think is a big part of our success at Medible. So, you know, I think when we decide, Hey, we're going to do this and, and, and we're going to be a, a part of his solution, certainly you know, important part, but not, you know, it's one of several parts. It's just so exciting because I know that we will really give it everything we have to make it happen. Yeah, I couldn't say better myself. I'm I'm so excited. And Michelle mentioned playing college sports. And I think that, you know, what we're trying to do is not easy. And it, it does require and it has already required dealing with a lot of adversity and sort of just continuing to grind. And when you're facing a challenge like that, you really want your partner next to you to also be the kind of person that's going to keep grinding and, you know, have a lot of grit. And obviously, you know, Michelle has that in spades and um, and so does her team. I mean, it, it's incredible what Medible has accomplished already. I love this. I feel like you both are like these teammates being like, you're awesome. No, you're (laughs) awesome. And I I love it. (laughs) So my next question for you guys is you have these drugs and you're like, we're looking into it. What kind of regulatory challenges or hurdles do you anticipate or maybe have you seen thus far? What does that kind of look like for drug repurposing? What I found in the drug repurposing space is that Regulators are really excited about the potential for drugs to be utilized in additional areas that they can help. What they don't like is when drugs are used in additional areas where they're not helpful. And the best part about a clinical trial is that informs whether it actually helps or doesn't help. So there's a lot of enthusiasm from regulators and saying, yeah, let's do good clinical trials and determine whether this drug can actually be useful in a new way. Now, the couple of nuances that, that we still will need to figure out are there are going to be certain disease areas where doing a relatively small clinical trial and doing it efficiently with Medible to prove that it works may be all that you need to change clinical practice. And you actually may not need to submit the data to the FDA for a label change. And, and we've had a number of conversations with the FDA about this. And of course, they would much prefer the data to come through them and for them to say, yes, I give my thumbs up that the label should change and it should include Castleman's on the serolimus pill bottle. But that may not always make the most financial sense because it's actually expensive to put together um, the kinds of packages and submissions required for label change. So I guess short answer is that FDA is really excited about this. The long answer is that there are going to be certain times where actually it may make more sense for our organization and for patients to actually maybe not submit our data to the FDA and then rely on organizations to change their guidelines. But I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that, Michelle. Yeah. I mean, I think what's so powerful about this idea is that the safety of these drugs is proven. Yes. So you know, what David opened with, which is this idea that we want to make sure he wants to make sure every cure wants to make sure that every drug has reached its full potential of positive impact for people is really such a powerful goal. And again, these medicines are safe. The biggest question is, do they effectively treat this disease? So for example, you know, when I was practicing dermatology at Stanford as a physician scientist, 
the community of dermatologists and doctors discovered that sildenafil or Viagra was life-saving for people living with a disease called systemic sclerosis. Now, there is certainly a world where that data is submitted and that becomes an official label extension by the FDA, but frankly, for it to benefit patients, the most important thing is the evidence. And then doctors can use that evidence. Patients can be aware of that evidence and you can save lives. You can improve lives. So I think what's really powerful about this and, and why it has to happen, a lot of the cost, a lot of the investment, the safety is proven, but we haven't maximized the benefit for people. And that's really, you know, what the goal of every cure, what I see it to be. And I think that's just a huge and important goal for humanity. I I totally agree. And and just to your point, when that's the case, regulators are going to be even more excited about moving these things forward because they've already spent, in some cases, years reviewing safety data and giving it the thumbs up. I have quite a few questions to follow up on this, but I think my first is, it sounds like, you know, there's been a lot of collaboration with FDA. Do you foresee, I don't know, kind of expanding into other markets globally, or is your focus right now the U.S.? It's a great question. Once you generate evidence, like Michelle mentioned, for the most part, the evidence can be considered to be relevant worldwide. And so, um, you know, a well-done trial in the U.S. is typically the gold standard, and that really can change practice all over the world. Initially, we have not been thinking about working directly with regulators outside of the U.S., um, but I, w- I don't think I would rule that out, but we have been fairly U.S.-centric in terms of where the trials would be done and where we're trying to focus efforts. But again, the best news about if, if you do a great trial in the U.S., then that evidence is going to be relevant all over the world. Michelle, I don't know what else you'd add for, from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the powerful aspects of our partnership, so Medable, we deploy technology in 120 languages and in 60 countries. Now, as David mentioned, you know, these medicines in general are commercialized in the United States. They're widely, in general, most medicines worldwide are available in the United States market because that's actually one of the biggest markets for patients to receive them. Now, we do see some medical conditions, diseases are more common outside of the United States. So say every cure really finds a low hanging fruit opportunity where the link between a drug and a disease is extremely strong. And there are some patients in the United States, but there are patients in other locations. You know, there would be nothing that would limit us in terms of being able to ensure those patients were also a part of these research studies, you know, ensuring that as as long as those medicines were available within those countries. So, yeah, I think that there's not a geographic limit, which is, or kind of restriction, which is the power of decentralized clinical trials. But as David was saying, you know, that evidence generated in the United States will be used worldwide where those drugs are available. I recently was working on an article on health equity and speaking to a lot of really bright folks. And they were talking about how, you know, there's certain groups of people from different racial backgrounds or different genders, you know, that specific populations really deal with specific medical conditions. Are you guys targeting at all? Maybe say like, I know like the black community, I forget what the disease state is, but there's a cardiac disease state that they really struggle with or things related to pregnancy. Are you guys targeting stuff like that at all as well? Yeah, we'd like to go in the disease areas that have the greatest opportunity for making an impact. And as you said, there are certain disease areas and certain populations with those diseases that, oh my gosh, absolutely need impact made. And so so absolutely, that that's certainly um, part of our roadmap in terms of making sure that we're going after the right diseases. But I also would would maybe kick it over to Michelle and also talk about not only is that going to be important for picking what are the right diseases to go into, 
But then it's making sure when we decide to go into that disease, because there is an opportunity to help a particular population, that we do it in the right way with the right platform. And I know Medible is really well positioned to make sure that you go to the patients where they are and making sure that you can really reach populations that are typically left out of the healthcare system. So maybe I'll turn to Michelle. Yeah. And I think, you know, this whole idea that each medicine should reach its maximum potential benefit is important because when we look at certain diseases, there may not be a financial justification in the current cost of drug development to develop a treatment for a disease. And that's just, you know, for the people living with this, that's just an irrelevant point. They want the treatment. So I think this is really critical to developing new interventions for diseases that have unmet need. And as David was saying, you know, one of the powerful aspects of decentralized clinical trials is we want to be a part of a community. We're not limiting the access to this, these trials to ivory tower research institutions. You know, Medible has partnered with organizations like CVS that are in, you know, most neighborhoods across the United States. And we really believe that access is critical. Only 7% of research participants to date come from diverse backgrounds. You know, and this is a big ethical, medical, and scientific challenge and issue that has to be overcome. So, you know, in the partnership with Every Cure, not only are they looking at serious unmet needs, I think that we bring to the table the ability to be a bigger part of a solution that's actually going to reach patients who really need these new treatments. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And now comes to the part of the episode where I whip out my crystal ball or and I ask you guys to read into it. What do you see for the future of drug repurposing, especially in the next maybe five to 10 years? I'll jump in first. I think that in the next five to 10 years, I'm really excited to see all of the incredible technologies um, that we alluded to a bit earlier, um, and certainly some breakthroughs in single cell RNA sequencing and laboratory techniques finally translating into clinical trials that actually help patients. And, And the reason I say finally and actually is because we really have done a great job of identifying promising drugs and publishing them in papers and putting them in the medical literature and building these beautiful knowledge graphs and learning so much from these great technologies like single cell RNA sequencing. But for the reasons that Michelle, one of the ones that Michelle mentioned in particular around there not being a business model in a lot of cases or not being enough financial incentives for a lot of these insights to actually be translated into clinical trials for patients. I am so excited to finally take that on where we say like, you know, medical community, you've done a great job coming up with these great hypotheses. Now it's time to do clinical trials of them, whether or not there's a financial incentive for it. So, so that's my, that's what I'm excited about for the next um, five to 10 years. Yeah, I totally agree with David. And I think, you know, one of our shared passions is the fact that science has informed so much of our understanding of medicine, but has that translated to better outcomes for patients? And oftentimes the answer is no, it has underperformed there. And I think that, you know, what every cure is doing is so powerful. The science is there. The safety is there. Well, a lot of the science is there. The safety is there. Now it's that additional scientific question. How can this be used in other disease states? And as much as science flourishes without these types of efforts, we're not going to maximize that benefit. And I think that the next five years, what we'll see is harnessing technology for good in more scalable and beneficial ways. And this is one great example, I think, of that type of impact. But it does take an unorthodox approach. Every Cure is a nonprofit organization, right? And so I think it's important we think about new ways of solving these problems. And I really hand it to David for taking a different approach that I think is going to align a lot of the internal partners to make sure that we're in it for the long haul to drive those specific outcomes. Totally agree. 
Awesome. Now it's time for this week's leadership tip. What is one leadership tip that you'd like to share? This could be something that you would give to your younger self or maybe to folks coming up in the industry or even to peers and say, hey, this is really what we should be focusing on. What would that tip be for each of you? You know, what I think is really critical in accomplishing anything that is really hard to do, but is absolutely where, you know, we want to be spending our time changing the world, bringing new benefit. You have to see the obstacles in the road as fuel for your fire. You have to take every naysayer, every person who underestimates you, everything that can feel like a failure, you have to turn that into fuel. And so, you know, there's a great Jordan reel that talks about this called the competitor mindset. And I just, I believe this is really what differentiates the good from the great and the great from the goat. It's not talent. It's truly seeing the obstacles as fuel for your fire. I love it. I literally wrote that down. Just so you know, Michelle. I'll ship you a, a Jordan jersey. I love it. I love it. So for me, I think that mine, where, where I'll go is something I like to refer to as turning hope into action. And that's that all of us, no matter what sector we're in, even outside of healthcare or business, um, we hope for things all the time. Gosh, I really hope this happens. Or I, you know, I really wish that there could be a drug for this disease. And so I think that something that Michelle and I share in common is just this bias towards action. So I'm not saying it's not important to be hopeful and to hope. I think you should. But then I think it's really important that you then reflect on what am I hoping for? What am I praying for? What am I wishing for? And then say, okay, what can I do today, tomorrow, and the next day to get closer to that, which I'm hoping for? And along the way, use the naysayers to fuel your fire. I love it. Hope into action. I mean, that is David in a nutshell, like the action is just incredible in the progress that's been made. So we're so excited to partner with every cure. as well. Ah, this is so awesome. Thank you both so very much for your time and sharing your stories. Super meaningful. And I wish you all the best in your journey for repurposing drugs. Well, thanks so much for raising awareness about this. You can tell we are on a mission and uh, we are so passionate about helping patients. And, and this is one of the ways that we get the word out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been just such a treat and, and so fun to share what Every Cure is doing and how Medibles, you know, a part of that. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Exec podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube at pharmaceutical executive magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com slash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.